Uh, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for a God that uh, not only sees our, our pain, sees our, our hurt, our stories, but, um, but knows, how, knows how to comfort us uh, in the midst of those things. Um, man. I only know some of your stories. I don't know every story here. But even the stories that I do know, I know that pain and, and hurt are real. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to bear that with one another. And yet to see the church bearing that together and because of what Christ has done in their life is an incredible thing. And uh, the longer you, ha- you hang out in this place called the church, the more you get to see those stories happen. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. And uh, I want to... Um, we're, we're, in a way, we're closing this series today, uh, and, but in, in another way, it's culminating next week, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, this, this series, I have decided, following Jesus to the cross, has uh, been a series that, uh, as we teach through uh, the Gospel of Mark, we've, we've followed Jesus' journey through his unfair trials to the cross, and, and today we're in Mark chapter 16, if you've got your Bible or a uh, phone. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 talking about the resurrection, the, the fact that Jesus got up from the dead. Way back um, several weeks ago, Philip was uh, doing our welcome, and, and he talked about the beginning of the series, and he said, man, uh, commitment is a four-letter word in our society. I think a lot of us can, can relate to that, and, and that has kind of become the application uh, of this series that, man, we, we have this amazing story of Jesus Christ. We, we know the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and his bride is the church. But we waffle in our commitment to Christ and the church. And so what does it look like to, to be different, to make that commitment? That's been the whole gist of this. It's coming to a head today. Last week, we talked about Christ dying. This week, the resurrection. So um, I, I wanted to make sure and kind of get you up to speed with that, because I want you to to hear my heart on this. Today, as we talk about Mark chapter 16, I'm not trying to convince you of why you should be committed to Christ in the church. Uh, We've been following Jesus to that point. I'm talking to you today about what you should do because you are committed to Christ in the church and and how we start to do that together. So um, don't hear this one sermon in a vacuum, but I pray too that it inspires you to follow through on that commitment to Christ in the church. And so I want to read uh, the first eight verses of uh, Mark chapter 16 and then uh, pray for our time in the Word together, all right? Read first. I was just ready to go talk to the Lord. He wants to talk to me first. All right, Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, 
He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that guides us, that leads us, that reveals the truth of who you are and, what, and who we are in this world to us. And so, God, I pray that you would use your word to speak uh, to us. I pray that the words that are spoken today are from you and that anything that is not would just fall away, God, that we would know you. And in knowing you, we would be empowered to, to go and to finish the story of your work in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do uh, want to share uh, some good news. We talk about the resurrection. We talk about life. Uh, celebrate a new life in the family of Christ community. Ryan and Megan Adams. Megan is our worship leader. Uh, and uh, they welcomed in little baby Henry into the world this week. So I think we got a picture of Henry and, and Daddy Ryan. So uh, I, don't, I think he might be a little bit proud. What do y'all think? Might be just a little bit. So uh, continue to pray for them. Uh, I think everyone is doing well. Ryan uh, and Henry are stationed in Louisville right now. And uh, Megan was uh, finishing out her hospital time in Frankfurt. So uh, some things they wanted to check up on, but all seem to be doing well. So we celebrate life, and we celebrate life in the resurrection, right? We celebrate life in Christ. But Man, I think a lot of us end up living maybe where Peggy talked about, where we end up living where we uh, are in our daily lives at, at the foot of the cross, in the shadow of death, suffering, struggle. And uh, we talked last week about how that brings up a lot of questions about life. It brings up a lot of questions about who God is and, uh, and what do we do with those doubts and those questions. I, I can remember uh, the first time that, that doubts really began to mess with my faith in Christ. I was raised in a Christian home, grateful for really godly parents, but I can remember uh, my, my mamma passing away from cancer. It was an ugly battle, and uh, I had never seen my dad cry to that point in my life, and I remember at her funeral, uh, he stood in the back of the church, straight and tall, chin quivering, tears running down his face, and at that moment, I had so many questions about life I had so many whys that, that I couldn't really wrestle down. And, and as I look back on my story, that day was a day where my doubts began to, to maybe inform my decisions somewhat. And, and, and I went into a dark time, a time where I made a lot of poor decisions in my life because I was wrestling with those questions, those doubts, those things that we talked about last week at the cross. What does Mark 16 have to say to Mark 15? What does the resurrection have to say to the cross? Man, we turn to verse 1. And it says, when the Sabbath was over. When the Sabbath was over. Imagine, if you will, being these women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. They've waited, and we, you know, it's, it's almost like we, we can run past this detail now. Like three days. Three days. They were there when Christ died. They saw him breathe his last, and they've been waiting three days, wondering. Three days to wonder. Is this it? Is everything that Jesus said about himself true? 
Because it's pretty hard to be the king if you're dead. Three days left to, to, to ask the why questions. Three days to doubt. Three days of waiting. And, and not just any kind of waiting. When the Sabbath was over, you know, the Sabbath in their culture was, was something that was very sacred. It was a, a day where you did nothing. Can you imagine being alone with your own thoughts a few days after Jesus died on the cross? Man, like my brain's going crazy with all the doubts and the things that I would want to ask and, and, and the questions that I would have. And, and man, when we have those periods where we just can't seem to wrap our brains, our human fallen brains around the answers to the questions, doubt just takes over. It's just long enough, that three-day period is, for doubt to become our decision maker. Has that ever happened to you? It's what happened to me in that season of life. Doubt becomes the decision maker. Maybe it's seeing something on social media, friend posts about someone else or about you, or maybe it's a sub-tweet. You're like, maybe they didn't really mean what I think they meant when they posted that. But I doubt it. Right? I, I doubt that. And then in that moment of doubt, you make a subtle decision to carry yourself a little bit differently around them. Don't tell me you don't do this. If you're on social media, you do this. Maybe my spouse really did get caught up at work. And it really did mean that they had extra work to do for an hour. But I doubt it. Right? But I doubt it. And you make this subtle decision to hold back some trust from your spouse until you can find out the truth. Maybe my kids will be able to work out that, that fight that I hear going on upstairs in the playroom. Maybe they're going to be able to work that out on their own. But I doubt it. Right? But I doubt it. And so we make this decision to be heavy-handed on managing them ourselves. Well, if you guys can't figure it out, I will. This stops here. And then everybody ends up angry and crying. Maybe my boss just wanted to challenge me to be my best self with that tough email that had some hard things to say in it. But I doubt it. But I doubt it, right? And then we make a decision in that moment of doubt to, to speak negatively about our boss to others. It's kind of hard for me to do that. Or sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes I want to speak negatively about God to others. God, why? But it applies to our spiritual lives too, right? Maybe Jesus really could know what's best for my life. And then in our humanness, without recognizing it, our actions say, but I doubt it. I know what's best for me. So you decide that you'll take Jesus when you need him and you'll slip him in the drawer when it's not convenient to have him around. Right? It's those subtle moments of doubt. It's those, those sudden moments of difficulty in our lives where doubt creeps in and becomes our decision maker that we so often run off of, right? Like, like this becomes the way that we get through life. One moment of doubt to the next, to the next, to the next, making a set of decisions, a series of decisions. And before long, we look up and we can't figure out why in the world we ended up here. And then we blame it on God. 
Maybe trusting the group of people around me in life would be helpful, but I doubt it. So you just decide to keep doing it by yourself. You just decide, like Peggy did maybe, to stay inside. Maybe I could do something great for God's kingdom if I just believed in the power of God in me. But I doubt it. You don't know me. I messed up. And so you decide to never take a risk on the God who rescues you. See, when we start talking about Christ and the church and committing to Christ in the church, a thing that doesn't seem very cool in our culture, our decision to commit to Christ in the church is so often made by doubt. We become decision makers based upon our doubt. You know, we just sang a song that is based upon something that Jesus himself said when he said that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Doubters, which we might own the fact that all of us have seasons of being a doubter, invert the metaphor that Jesus spoke of by insisting that they need faith as big as a mountain in order to move a mustard seed. Ever been there? Let's just make this one small change in our family. Let's just make this one small change in our life. Yeah, but you have no idea how much work that's going to take. Right? You just, you can't imagine how difficult this is going to be. Doubt so often becomes our decision maker. Last week, as we've talked about, we spent time reflecting on the crucifixion. We studied the question of Jesus. My God, why have you forsaken me? And we saw that this hard question was actually a quotation of Scripture, an expression of faith in that God. We talked about being bold enough to bring our tough questions to the cross. But if we leave them at the cross, if we stay at the cross, it's often unsatisfactory, right? Like it's just dark and and doubt creeps in and we make decisions and we can't explain, we can't understand why we are where we are. But the good news, thanks be to God, is that Jesus removed our doubts and our fears and our misgivings when he got up from the dead. And because he got up from the dead, we are no longer allowed to let our questions linger. I'm with Peggy. Sometimes it takes more than three days, but maybe we shouldn't let our questions linger for more than three days. Maybe there's a point where we have to stand up and say, I'm going to move forward in faith, knowing that the pain will still be real. The resurrection reminds us that even when things seem hopeless, even when we doubt, even when we don't understand, even when we are unsure of what's next, Jesus is always a step ahead of us, right? Even when he got up from the dead, he didn't meet him there. He said, come meet me in Galilee because I'm staying ahead of you. I'm moving ahead of you. I'm calling you to myself. And that's what it looks like to be a Christian, to always be pursuing the God who is ahead of us. He has worked it out. This is why our death to self means life eternal in him. This is why our dead ends are often new beginnings. This is why our pain gives us purpose. This is why we can decide to follow Jesus and still have doubts that are lingering. This is why faith in God can be foolish to people, right? Isn't that one of our doubts? Is that if I go all in with this Jesus thing that I'm going to look a little weird, I'm going to look a little strange to the people who are in my life and around me, I'm going to look foolish, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 25. 
It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. And then in 25, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. In other words, this idea of following Christ, it's not going to make sense until he helps you to understand it through his spirit. But oh, when he does, we recognize that even his foolishness is wiser than our own wisdom. We can't figure out what's best for us without him. His weakness is stronger than we can ever be on our own. Jesus got up from the dead to get ahead of your doubt, right? Like, that's why he did it. He got up from the dead to get ahead of your doubt, to squelch all the questions that you bring to the, qu- to the cross. But in getting ahead of your doubt, he created the greatest mystery. And out of that mystery was born the church. It was and is this mysterious nature of God that makes him appealing to us, right? Who wants to follow a God that we can figure out? Ha. Huh. Man, that would be really boring. It is the mystery of himself that draws us to himself and draws us together as the church. Paul writes about this in in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Paul says, I've become its servant, the servant of the church, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then it says in Colossians 2, 2 and 3, a couple verses later, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, committing to Christ and the church, like there's going to be some mystery in it, but thank God there's some mystery in it. It would be boring without it. And mystery is not the same as doubt. A few years ago, Tinley, uh, my daughter, I think, I want to say this was her second birthday. I, I don't really remember, maybe first. She was, she was young. Young enough that you can still trick them. You know what I'm saying? That's a beautiful age. So it was her birthday, and uh, my wife, Caitlin, is really good at birthdays. And she, uh, she was like, I want to fill her room with balloons so that when she wakes up, like, there's balloons all over her room. I was like, all right, that's fun. So, um, you know, we all get really lightheaded blowing up balloons. She's asleep. We fill her room with balloons. And um, she wakes up the next morning, and I mean, you know the look on a kid's face when they are just excited, right? She wakes up. She's so excited. And she, she comes running out and she says, Daddy, who filled my room with balloons? And part of you wants to be like, I did. It was me. Right? I spent way too long. Like, I taste rubber in my mouth and I'm lightheaded. But I'm glad you smiled. You know? Like, that's what part of you wants to say. But it was a whole lot more fun to say, I don't know. Isn't that awesome? And then you watched her, like, go to Caitlin, go to Granny. Who filled my room with balloons? Who filled my room with balloons? 
You see, that's the joy of what it is to, to follow Christ, to seek Christ in the mystery. To know that he's giving us something so great, something so mysterious and powerful, not just in our salvation, but in this thing called the church. This thing that we can't totally understand. Like, a lot of days it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would I keep getting together with all these broken people and, and putting myself in a position where I might get hurt? And why would I try to worship with people who aren't like me and who value things differently than I do? Like, why would I do all those things? It's because there's this beautiful mystery. There's this beautiful mystery of how Christ has pulled all those things together and given us something incredible, something that we could never have gotten on our own. And it's just like the mystery that was left there at the tomb that day, right? Jesus could have been sitting there instead of leaving a guy. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I'm ahead of you. There's a little bit of mystery here. Jesus, how did you get up from the dead? Just meet me in Galilee. Right? Just meet me in Galilee. It's going to be fun. I, I, I'm going to leave a little bit of mystery in there. Because he didn't want to say, well, let me tell you how I did it. I was God and decided I don't want to be dead anymore. I set up. Right? Like, it's the, like, come on. It's the beauty of Christ and the mystery. The resurrection causes us to say, doubt will not be my decision maker. Doubt will not be my decision maker. But mystery is my motivation. I'm going to pursue the mystery of Christ, and I'm going to do that with the church, because when I do that, man, I get to be a part of this beautiful picture that he's continuing to paint. That's why we commit to Christ and the church. And so today, as we look at Mark 16, I want to give us three things, uber practical, that we must do if we have decided to follow Jesus. Now, if you haven't, then that's a whole other conversation, and I want you to come back next week. There's going to be some of that in here too, but, but mostly this is coming to a climax for us as the church to say these are three things that we must do if we've decided to follow Jesus, all right? Number one, make Christ and the church a priority. A priority. Look at verse two with me, if you still got Mark 16 open. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. Now, if an author cannot, um, um, like, there's no way in my mind that Mark could have emphasized more how much of a, a priority it was for these women to get to Christ, to be with Christ, to make him the priority of their lives. They'd been sitting there for three days, wandering through a Sabbath where they couldn't do anything, and, like, they are there very early in the morning, first day of the week, sunrise. This was a priority for them. What does that look like for us? How do you make Christ a priority in your life? And, and then how do, like, what does that mean for Christ and the church, right? If Christ is a priority in your life, here's, here's one application. You're going to hate the sin in your life. You're going to learn to hate the sin in your life. You're not going to, to try and say, well, I want Jesus, I, I want that salvation in him, but I also want to keep these things around. If he's a priority, then those things go away. What does it look like to make church a priority? It's really simple. Just be there. Just be there. 
How do, you, how do you do this, though? Like, how do, you, how do you actually make Christ in the church a priority in your life? If, first, let me speak. If, if you're single, right? If you're single, then you just make that mental decision that I'm going to be there, and in being there, I'm going to, to make that a priority. And then you have to ask for accountability, right? Because when you're, when you're flying solo, like, you're flying solo, and you need some help. But for the couples and for the families... Isn't this, like, priorities are a weird thing when you're married or a couple? Because all of a sudden there's, like, two opinions and not just one. It's crazy how much harder that makes it. You see, if Christ in the church is going to be a priority for you and in your home, you have to have a conversation with your spouse and define what it means to make Christ in the church a priority. This is not a conversation about how you're going to squeeze it in. Okay, don't, don't miss that. What it means to you, Right? Sit down and have a conversation and answer the question, what does it mean to you that Christ and the church are a priority in our home? And you're going to find out that that may look different. And now you actually have to resolve that conflict and you have to communicate and create shared expectations. You say, well, what if we don't agree? What if our expectations of what it looks like to make Christ and the church a priority in our home, like what if they don't agree? This would be the practical advice I would give you just based upon what I've worked out in my own life with Caitlin, but also what I think I see in Scripture. Pray together. How do we pray together as a couple? For Caitlin and I, if we sat down and, and tried to like pray in the same spot, like out loud, there might, like the cops might get called. I don't <laughs> Like that's hard for us, right? Like we, that's just never been our thing. But I can't tell you the number of times that for Caitlin and I, we come together and we communicate and we recognize that there's a conflict, a tension, and we have to be praying about that together. And so we communicate what we are praying about, and we set a time in that moment to come back together and talk about what God reveals to us as we pray together. And then step three for us, it's a crazy step, we have to actually pray, right? Because it's really easy to just say that, but then we actually pray. And and I'm not saying it, it won't ever work out this way, but for us, whenever we come back together after that time of prayer, it's amazing how God brings unity. May not have been where I thought we were going, may not have been where she was, thought we were going, maybe something entirely new, but, but how God brings us together when we submit ourselves to him in prayer. And so I give you all those practical things because if you're going to make Christ in the church a priority, especially as a couple, as a family, you're going to have to have shared expectations about what that means. First, with your spouse, but then also with your kids. Once you and your spouse are on the same page, you have to have a conversation with your kids. And that conversation, uh, be the adult, right? Be the adult. There's numerous illustrations that I could give. Uh, you know, you hear so many parents talk about, well, um, our kid doesn't really want to go. And I, I understand what you're trying to say, but there's a lot of things that your kid doesn't want to do that your kid needs to do. And if that's your priority, Christ in the church, then I think that is part of your responsibility as a parent. But what's really cool and next level is when you can begin to not only just share with your child what your priority is in Christ in the church, but then ask for shared accountability. And you can go to them as they begin to, to age and mature and say, hey, we also want you to know that this is our expectation, this is our, and there's going to be times when mommy and daddy don't want to do this, and you're welcome to say to us, no, we want to go. Invite them in. 
And know this, your kids, your kids are trusting you to make the right decision on this one. They are trusting you to make the right decision on this one. Their life hangs in the balance. A word of encouragement from Christ himself, Matthew 6, 33. You're like, man, this sounds really tough to just think about making Christ in the church a priority because that means I'm going to have to hate my sin. It means I'm going to have to like maybe rearrange my schedule, maybe give some things up. Oh, that sounds like too much. I see what you're calling me to, God, but I'm not sure that I want to go there. So I'm just going to step back, right? Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Said in the context of worry. I'm worried about whether I'm going to be able to pay the bills. I'm worried about how this is going to work out in our schedule. I'm worried about all these things. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be provided for you. Make Christ in the church a priority. Number two, put your head down and get to work spiritually. This isn't a very fun sermon. Verse four, I love this. Mark 16. I don't know if I've got it up there, but you can pull it up on your phone. But it says this, looking up, the woman, the women, looking up, they noticed that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled away. I love this little nuance, right? Looking up. Because what that tells us is that they had decided, we're going to the tomb, right? And we're, 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 in, a, we're in a hurry. This is a priority. We're going to get there. They had put their heads down, and they were getting to the tomb. And they got all the way up to the tomb, and they looked up, and God was already there, right? God had already done the miracle. He had already done something amazing. You know, when we are chasing after Jesus, we at times must put our head down and do the hard work while trusting that he is doing his part to grow things and to prepare for us the things that we already have. And when we look up, we get to enjoy and marvel at what God has already done. It's an incredible thing. But so often, we're not willing to do the hard work. Our kids are playing soccer for the first time this year. They have an incredible coach. Coach Tori Smith, right down here in the front row. It's his birthday today. Side note. And he's got a Star Wars hat on. I mean, this guy's just awesome. So, Caitlin and I, like, my high school, we didn't even have soccer. Caitlin's never played soccer. We've done a lot of sports stuff. We have not done soccer. So, we show up the first day, like, like, we need soccer for dummies, 2.0, right? And, like, we don't know any of the skills, any of that. And so, at the first practice, he was like, hey, you guys need to practice. I was like, okay, that makes sense but we don't know what to practice. And he shows them this little thing called toe taps, right? So they got the ball, and they got, I should have brought a soccer ball. It would have been fun, right? Now, if if you've ever been to a soccer game, in a real soccer game, nobody is ever going to stop in the middle of the field and be like, just on top of the ball, right? So why do toe taps? I mean, why do that? Because it gets your feet used to moving the ball, right? And so then as you do that, like when you're in the middle of a game and a ball gets kicked to you or it's time to score, like you can actually be prepared to make that move. You know, as Christians, I think a lot of times we like we, we do all these things in the world or sports or whatever, and we learn all these principles like, okay, you got to do that drill so that you're ready for this type of game situation. And it's like we, we put on our spiritual hats and we forget like just common sense, right? So like, well, why, why should I learn anything about the Bible? Just tell me what I need to know to survive in real Like, we just got to score goals in life. Like, just, just love people, right? 
Just, just love people. Just love God. It'll all be okay. But man, we need to spend some time doing toe taps. <laughs> right? We need to spend some time doing toe taps because if we don't, if we don't spend time in God's Word, if we don't spend some time like learning how to be a better Christian, learning how to react to the things in our world, then when we're out here, we're going to think we're ready. The ball's going to get passed to us, and who knows what's going to happen. Right? We've got to put our head down and get to work spiritually so that when we look up, right, we're prepared, and we are ready for what God has doing, is doing in our lives. So let me just suggest some really practical ways that we can do that. To learn your way around God's Word. Because at the end of the day, right, here's what happens. We get into all these situations in life. We get into all these political issues. We get into all these things, right? Social issues. How do we respond to those things? Well, just, tell me, just tell me what to believe on this. Like, man, you didn't do your toe taps. Like, you've got to know your way around God's Word if you want to learn how to navigate that stuff. How do we do that? Number one, learn the books of the Bible. Like, I don't need to know the books of the Bible. Just give me a chapter. Like, just send me the verse of the day, all right? Okay, the verse of the day is in Malachi. Where's Malachi? Right? Like, that's us. We got to grow. We got to put our head down and get to work spiritually. There's 66 books. If you want to do some really cheesy Christian stuff, go to YouTube and type in songs to learn the books, and you'll get some really bad raps, Okay? but they might help. I don't know. But learn the books of the Bible. And then as you begin to learn the books of the Bible, learn the overarching story of Scripture and learn how those books fit into that. Okay? It's all, it's like, I can help you find it. If you want to know more about this, like, let's, let's have conversations, get in a community group, right? That's, that's two. Number three, just read a chapter each day. Even if you don't understand it, read a chapter. We're talking like two minutes on most chapters of the Bible. Don't start with Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible, okay? <laughs> Practical stuff here, guys, all right? Uh, number four, be a part of a community group. Same type of thing, right? You're like, why do I need to go to a community group? I don't get anything out of the community group. It is not helping me to do anything in life this week, right? And then crisis happens, and pain happens, and you're like, man, I wish I had it have more friends to be here with me. Like, you got to do the toe taps, right? you got to do some toe taps. Like, go be in community or be a part of that community because as you're learning to be a friend and be in community, that's when community comes back around you. Last but not least, maybe you've been a Bible reader for a long time and, and, like, it just gets stale because it happens to all of us. Change up your reading patterns, all right? Change it up. If you're a serial devotional reader, what I mean by that is like you take the one verse and then somebody's commentary on it. That's okay. But change it up by sitting down and reading a whole book in one sitting. Start with a short one. Read all of 1 John. Read all of 1 Peter and, and think about a whole letter that Paul wrote to this group or whatever. If you're a chapter a day person, spend an entire week rereading the same chapter. Challenge yourself like, man, what does this chapter really mean? Romans 8 would be a great one to start. You see, the goal isn't to conquer the Bible. It's not to just rush through it and to read it over and over and over again. The goal is to comprehend it. And reading it in different ways helps us with that. Last but not least, some encouragement, some motivation, some reminder 
that when you do these toe taps, when you, when you really expand your understanding of the word, that it's not going to be use, useless. We read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, when you do these toe taps, it's going to move you towards completeness. It's going to move you towards who God has designed and created you to be. Do the toe taps. Put your head down and get to work spiritually. Last but not least, go and tell. Go and tell. Verse 7. The angel sitting in the tomb says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. This is just being obedient. But remember, obedience often feels scary first and then rewarding on the back end. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 reminds us that each one of us has a story. Each one of us is uh, just another blank sheet that God is working in and and writing the story of, of his son Jesus changing us in, right? And so if you think, I don't know if I have a story, man, check yourself. Right? Like, like either you do have a story, or if you don't know what your story is, ask yourself if you know the God who is writing your story. Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Your life, don't miss this, right? There's a lot of big words there. Your life is designed to shed light on the mystery of Christ in someone else's life. That is why you exist. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And it goes on. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. If you have only one purpose in life, It's to tell the story of how Christ changed your story to someone else. That's it. How do you tell your story? Four really quick points. (laughs) We can go into more on this, but I want to give you four to help you think through that. Number one, share how God created you. How did God make you? What's the beginning of your story look like, right? Where did you come from? Talk about how sin has messed that up in your life. That's a hard one to get your head wrapped around. It's a hard one to be obedient to. But talk about how sin messed you up. And then tell how Jesus saved and changed you anyway. And then talk about what God is teaching and changing in you right now. I'm going to give you one other hint that ties all these fun things together. That's the story of the whole Bible, like layered over it. It's really cool stuff how God, you know, like this mystery thing. It's, a, it's fun. Okay. Tell your story. Super practically, next week, Wes Keene, the crazy guy on the box drum, he's going to be preaching the word next week. And I am excited to hear what he has to share with you. And he has a heart for the lost like no other guy that I've been around in a long time. He just wants to see people to to come to know Christ and have their story changed. And so I want to challenge you to bring a friend, to bring someone with you that needs to hear that story. Know that you're going to be afraid to ask them. Know that. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. 
Because that obedience will feel good on the other side of it. To go and tell. To live out the purpose that God has given to you. And in doing that, we finish the story. We finish the story. I've shared a little bit of the story. I'm finishing up, I promise. I shared a little bit of the story of sharing the gospel with uh, my brother's girlfriend. Her name is uh, Sanjana. And Sanjana, uh, her family uh, is from India. And she doesn't believe in God. And uh, just to be perfectly honest, like that's been really hard for our family. Christian home, trying to figure all that out. And uh, she, she came to Christ Community, I don't know, a year ago maybe. And God grabbed her heart with the gospel. So they were just down for a fun weekend, and that fun weekend turned into like gospel conversations in my basement all Sunday afternoon. I was so excited. I was like, God, this is it. Like, this is the real thing. This is when, this is when family trees get changed because all of a sudden a family that had never believed in Christ, like somebody's going to make a decision to do that. So I was amped up. So she leaves and she goes back to her life. We're, we're reading the Bible together through the Bible app. We go through the book of John and she's like, this is amazing. Like freedom in Christ. This is incredible. God would die for me? It's like, yeah, it's amazing. Accept him. Accept him. I'm not sure I can yet. She's like in that wrestling. A couple weeks later, she texted me and she was like, man, I was reading in the book of Exodus. I'm not sure I can believe in a God that kills babies. Can you explain to me like why babies died in the book of Exodus? So we had a conversation about that. I'm not going to break down that whole conversation here, right? But I was so defeated. God, I, I, I shared the story. I shared the gospel. I mean, I thought, I thought Sanjana was going to come to know Christ. And like, here's this huge roadblock. And like, it seems like you've pushed her even further away. And I gave up, right? How many of us do that? Like we invite someone to church and they tell us no. We share the gospel and they're like, I don't know if that's for me. It's like, well, I did my part. Check mark on to the next one. Or maybe it's, check mark, and I'm done with that for life. I'll just worry about my own story now. That's what I did. God, I guess it's up to you. <laughs> I wish Sunshine knew Christ, but I guess it's just not in the cards. This summer, I went up to officiate my other brother's wedding. And we were driving over to the wedding venue, and she says, you know what, I'm going to ride with Blake. All kinds of weird stuff going on in my head right there. She gets in the car and she said, I just want you to know. Like, she didn't waste any time. It was like, this is what this conversation is going to be about. She's like, I just want you to know that I want to believe in Jesus so bad. So bad. She said, when I'm with Christians, when I'm with the church, and it is so real. Just like, but I don't have any of those people in my life. I don't have anybody that slows down and takes the time with me when I'm away from that. 
And I can't figure out if God's real or not because sometimes he feels like he isn't. Sometimes he feels like he isn't. What do I do with that? Just keep inviting her in. Just keep sharing the story with her. Keep praying for her. But I don't give up because the story isn't over. The story isn't over. Jesus didn't say, I'm alive. There you go, you got it. He said, I'm alive and I'm ahead of you and I'm in Galilee and come follow me, come seek me, come pursue me, come finish the story. I was dead, but now I'm alive and I want to rewrite that story in your life and in the life of your friends and in the life of your family. I want to take things that are dead and make them alive, things that are Man, they're just broken and make them new. That's what I want to do. I wish I could just stand up here and tell you, Sanjana just made a decision to accept Christ and she got baptized last week. I can't. But what I can tell you is that just last week, all on her own, she made a decision to walk into a church that she'd never been in. And she sent me a text afterwards and she said, I want to give this Bible thing a shot again. Can you make a recommendation for me? Will you read the Bible with me again? I said, yes. Yes. I say that. And I tell that story. Because I don't want doubt to become your decision maker. I don't want you to live for yourself. I don't want you to, to live in this season, in this moment of saying, you know what, it probably won't work out. They'll probably say no if I invite them to follow Christ. They'll probably not want to go with me. You know, if I try that new thing with Christ, if I like lean into this thing that I think God wants me to do, probably won't work out. Don't let doubt become your decision maker, but go finish the story. Go finish the story. Don't let a bad season in your marriage kill it. Go finish the story. Don't let years of running from God stop you from beginning to serve God this week. Go finish the story. Don't let shame define who you will forever be. Go finish the story. Let him make you new and redefine who you are. Don't settle for one decline or the invitation to church because that person's life hangs in the balance. Go finish the story. Go finish the story. I love that from Mark because Mark so abruptly ends at verse 8, right? If you've got your Bible, you're following along, it's like some manuscripts do not include anything past verse 8. Like, what, the heck does, like, what does that mean? You can read for years on what that actually means. Some people say it was lost. Others just say Mark just ended it right there. But what I love is that somebody felt compelled to finish the story. Somebody said, no, you need to know that these women didn't just leave it there. They weren't just afraid to go and tell. They weren't afraid to pursue Christ. They went and they did it. And the next thing you know, the, the church is popping up. It's changing the culture. It's changing people's lives. And the word of God is growing and expanding forever. And he has the same thing for us. So go finish the story. Let's pray. Father, uh, You know all the stories in this room. And for some of us, our story is in a lull. Our story is in the middle of a season. Our story, maybe we think, is over. But God, I pray that just as you resurrected your son, Jesus Christ, you would resurrect 
and the power of the Holy Spirit in each of us. That you would help us to have grace for ourselves, but also grace for others as we finish the story that you are writing in the story of creation. Give us hope. Give us confidence. Give us strength through the power of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Finishing the story starts as we respond to the gospel right here today. If you haven't decided to follow Christ, if you haven't committed to church, we'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. I'll be in the back of the room. I'd love to pray with you, learn where you are in your story. I'd love to help you make that decision today. If you have, we celebrate and we remember Christ's death and his resurrection as we take the Lord's Supper each week. If you've been baptized into Christ and you are a believer in him, you can come forward, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And in doing that, you remember all the things that we just talked about. That he died, and with his death, he destroyed the power of sin in our lives. And so we lay our sin, we lay our pain at the cross, and we walk in newness of life in the resurrection with him. That's what we remember when we take the Lord's Supper. If you'd like to give today, we have cans in the back. We give because we're committed to Christ and the church. And we do it out of obedience to what his word says to us. Decide today to finish the story. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our hope for you and our prayer. Just stand with us as we sing and as we respond.